Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. We're continuing in our series through Genesis, and so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Genesis chapter 25. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they will run one down to you. You know, it's real interesting. Last week we we looked at Rebecca as she went out and inquired of the Lord. And we talked about meditation, that Isaac went out to meditate. And then we see that Rebecca is essentially doing the same thing. And I actually have received comments from people who have said, this week was a really difficult week, but I put into practice the things we talked about where I really took time and stilled my heart and came before the Lord in just a time of meditation and it was really helpful. And it's like, wow, that's great when people actually listen, you know, and actually put into practice the things that we're, we're trying to do because that is really what's taking place, especially with the book of Genesis. You see, the book of Genesis isn't an encyclopedia of you know, what takes place. And the Bible overall is not a a reference book that you just try and find theological truths from. It's not a manual for life, as you may have heard. It doesn't have things in order where you, okay, let's look up, you know, inquiring of God under I. You you can't go through the scriptures and find those kinds of things. It, It doesn't arrange subjects in order. What it is is mostly stories, And although they contain theological insights and truths and statements, we're supposed to read the stories, not just extract theology from them. We are to actually enter into the story and experience it from the inside. The reason someone tells a story is to draw you into an understanding of what's taking place. And so we're supposed to enter into these stories emotionally with our our thoughts so that we understand what is taking place in them. And in the story, theology becomes dynamic. It becomes alive. And it's meant to be alive. You see, if you just go and read and get information, you can become a Pharisee. They knew the Scripture, but they didn't know the God of the Scripture. And it would be a shame to to go through these stories and just get information without trying to learn what is being stated in these stories. And and so now we're continuing in Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to start Basically, where we left off, we touched on it in verse 23. After Rebekah has inquired of the Lord, in verse 23 it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. (laughs) That's funny. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. He, he Two strikes against you. No, if you're red, that's fine. Um, the first ginger right here in Scripture. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's hill. So his name, he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 
Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage and a few others, Lord, may our hearts be receptive to see what you are saying in this story. Lord, may the emotion of these events grip our hearts and may we be able to process what you are saying through them. And Father, we again set ourselves aside at this time. We give you our attention and we fight off the distractions to hear your voice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story begins with God revealing to Rebecca that there are going to be twin boys. Remember, she inquired, what is happening to me? Something is unusual about this pregnancy. And so God reveals to her what is going to happen, that she is going to have twin boys. And God reveals that the younger is actually going to be over the older, that the older was going to serve the younger, which was out of sorts for that time. Now, as God reveals these things to her, it's still up to her how things are going to play out. And and as the story goes on and we see that the two boys are there and we see that, you know, Esau is a skillful hunter. He's a man of the open country. You know, his magazine descriptions would be guns and ammo and fields, you know, and streams. Where Jacob's is, you know, Red Book and Home and Garden. You know, I mean, it's just these two dynamics of these two boys. And by the way, uh, Joe and Dania Stewart have entered the Twin Boy Club, just so you know, she had twins this last week, so congratulations and prayers to them. The Twin Boy Club. Um, and, and so we see the dynamic of these two boys and their personalities. And picture yourself again in this time. It's a rugged environment. You're living out on the field, out on the land. And so Esau is the man's man. Esau is the guy you look for when you're recruiting for man camp. Jacob, you might too, because there's engineering challenges and there's you know other things. So there's something for all of us guys there. But Esau is the man's man and Jacob's the mama's boy. And we see that Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. And so we're starting to see some kind of problems at the very beginning and how they shape the future that's going to be taking place. And so even though there's the two boys, they're each having favorites. And as they move into this story, we see that there is a personality trait that's going to show up actually in all of the people involved in this story. But Esau, right away, Jacob is cooking some stew, and Esau comes from the country famished. 
He's exhausted, some translations say. Okay, he's been out in the field and he's hungry. Have you ever been hungry where you're just like, man, I'm starving to death? And you're really not. You could probably live a week off of just what's there already, or I might be talking about myself, but he comes in and he's just famished. And he says, quick, well, there's this urgency. Give me some of your stew. Now, you would think if your brother was hungry and he came and asked you for stew, you'd say, okay, sure, help yourself, but not Jacob. Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. Now, what is the birthright? The birthright is what is given to the sons. The oldest son gets the majority. He will get two-thirds of everything that his father owns. The other son will get the remainder, the remaining part. If there's more sons, it's divided, but the oldest son always gets the majority. He's the one who's going to carry on the family line. You see, the way a family continued and the way a person continued and had in his mind this kind of eternal life would be by carrying it on through his sons. And the eldest son is the guy. He's the man who's going to carry on. So Esau has that. It's his right as the eldest son. And Jacob says, I want your portion. I want you to give me the majority of what you have. And Esau says, well, what, what good is, you know, having a birthright if I'm going to die? And so Jacob says, swear to me, sell me your birthright. That majority of portion that belongs to you, I want it. And Esau says, okay, and it says that he ate the stew and he despised, he regarded little of his birthright. And so what we're starting to see at the very beginning is both character traits, not only of Esau, but also of Jacob. There's no thought of delayed gratification in Esau. He has to have it now. You ever been in that situation? We live in a culture of that situation, right? Infomercials. You ever watch infomercials? You can lose weight and you don't have to change a thing. Hey, all you have to do is take this pill and, oh, the weight just slips off. It's amazing. I mean, all these things, buy it, get it quick, and it's done. And the whole idea is, oh, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to have to change my diet. I don't have to actually exercise. That's work. Just give me a pill. That delayed gratification is just too much work. And so I want it now. And that's Esau's mindset. When our, our kids were little, especially the boys, we had the twins, and then we had our youngest son, Daniel. And the twins, we'd go to Toys R Us, and we'd say, okay, you guys, you got you know $20 to spend on toys. And so they'd go there, and the twins in two minutes had the toys. This is what I want. Our youngest son, Daniel, he was contemplating. He would go over, and he'd look at this one, and then he'd go and pick this one up, and then he'd get another one, and he's like in his mind thinking, how can these all work together? And he'd come up, and he'd say, this is $21. Can I get this? And we knew we can't say yes, because if we say yes to this... 
it's just not going to end, right? And, and so we say, no, it's got to be $20. He said, okay. And his brother's like, come on, just buy something. We got our toy. We want to go home and play. But not Daniel, no, he'd be th- thoughtful. Go back, put this one down, take this one up. And he would spend literally an hour just picking out $20 worth of toys. And finally he would come up and we'd go to the counter and, and Lauren had her toy too, whatever it was. And then the twins had their toys and they were always telling Daniel, hey, come on, get this one, get this one, because it would work well with them. And they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And it seemed like with the twins, there was just this, I want it now, let's go, let's go, let's go. They'd go, make the decision, get, and they'd get home and they'd play for about an hour. And after an hour, the twins were done. Toys were broken. They're outside playing. Oh, I should have got something else, throwing it down. And there's Daniel in his room, in his little haven, in his little imagination, playing with these toys. And he's got it. And for weeks, he would just go playing with these toys because he thought it through. I'm a lot more like the twins than I am Daniel in that regard. But how many times do we just impulsively start to do something? Because we want that reaction now. How many people make decisions because it's impulsive and I just want to now? How many people enter into relationships because she's hot, oh, he's cute? And instead of learning who they are, you just enter the relationship and then later down the line you find out, oh, they weren't who I thought they were or this isn't how I thought it would be And you find yourself being someone who is now a part of your decisions, but not actually the one who made your decisions. You understand? It's like, I'm here as a result of what I did, but I didn't think about what I was doing. I I didn't think about the long term, because you are today the decisions you made yesterday. Your life today is a result of all those decisions you made. And if you could stop and think about the decisions I make right now will determine the person I will be tomorrow or next year or five years from now, then you can actually shape your life. You're not a victim of all the circumstances. Oh yeah, we all deal with hardship. But the decisions you make through those hardships will determine the person you will be. And Esau is making a long-term decision in haste in the moment. My birthright, my future, my savings, it's gone. I just want the stew. Now, I don't know what the stew tasted like, but it must have been good. Because we see Jacob has the same, I mean, Isaac has the same issue with the stew later on. He loves this stew. It's like got cocaine in it or something. I don't know. It's just something with this stew. It's like, wow. I can't believe I just said that. Um, that's not true. It doesn't, okay? It's not there in Scripture. Just they like their stew. That, that was my point. And so we see... Not only Esau as being someone who is impulsive, we see that Jacob is someone who is conniving, which is what his name, the heel catcher, his name means deceiver. He's out to work things out, and instead of just giving his brother stew, he wants to get something for himself. 
And he's using his brother for himself. And so the dynamic of their personalities comes out. And, you know, it kind of is comforting to know that there's so much dysfunction in the people in Scripture. I mean, it brings comfort to me. Maybe you've got it all together and your family isn't dysfunctional. But I'm thankful that they are. And if you wonder, well, why does God use such dysfunctional people? I can imagine God saying, why don't you give me something else to work with? Right? I mean, it's kind of like everyone I know has dysfunction to some degree. And so even in spite of these things, God is at work. And so we're going to continue on in this story because this family has a lot of these kinds of dysfunction. And so going into chapter 26, verse 1, it says, Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, that's always comforting, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Hmm. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well slept with your wife. And you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Interesting how many times in these stories we see that those who are a part of this covenant that God made are actually showing more dignity than the ones that God made the covenant with. Here is Abimelech saying, we wouldn't touch her. If we knew she was your wife, why didn't you tell us? But something drove Isaac. That something was fear. He was afraid of what would happen to him. And something happens to us when we are afraid. The way we think changes when we are afraid. We, We have certain parts of our brain that react under certain conditions. When you're focusing, or even like we talked about last week, when you're meditating, when you're thinking on something intently, it uses the frontal lobe of your brain, and so you're able to have that kind of focus. When you're in a panic, you use the rear portion of your brain, and it's kind of a survival mode. It's meant to be there. So if a lion is chasing you, I don't know where you live, but if a lion is chasing you, you don't think, oh, look at the butterfly. No, you, you're running. 
and your mind just thinks, run, go. And you don't mind that you're stepping on glass and you don't mind that, you know, you cut your leg. You're just thinking survival. And everything else tunes out so that you can focus on survival. And so when fear enters our minds, we go into survival mode. And, and the problem is that so many times we go into survival mode when we really need to go into, wait, let's think mode. And the problem is when you get used to going into that kind of survival mode, your brain does something. All those neurons that start thinking start making a pattern. It start making a groove in your mind, so to speak, that that becomes a memory pattern that becomes a way of life for you. You do things over and over again, it becomes a habit. The habit then turns into the way of life. This morning, you probably didn't think, well, what shoe should I put on first? But I bet it's the same shoe you've been putting on every day for the last however many years. Why? Because your mind has gotten used to that and you just start doing those things. Now, where did Isaac learn this from? From his dad, from Abraham. Abraham had did this twice. Little did Abraham know that he was teaching his son how to live in fear. I wonder how many times we teach our kids how to live in fear because of the decisions we make and the way we do things. How when they see us up against the wall and and the situation is pressing in on us, they see us react and panic instead of thoughtfully maybe inquiring of God, praying and seeking after God. Instead, oh no, got to do something, got to do something. Oh no, we got to do, because the mind just wants to do something. And instead of thinking about it, instead of maybe taking time to inquire and pray about it, we just react. How many kids see us just react instead of being thoughtful? And what are we doing? We're teaching them how to panic. Teaching them how to react. And if we would know today what we're doing and how we live is affecting our children and what's going to be their life tomorrow. I don't know a single parent that doesn't look back and say, I wish I would have done something different. Well, we can start today and doing something different. Start today and thinking of how we're going to live. Because as Abraham was going on, I mean, Isaac is going on following in his father Abraham's suit, we see that the way he starts developing these things and these habits, they don't first of all recognize them as harmful, they recognize them as just survival. And we're just trying to get rid of that feeling of fear. Or maybe it's a feeling of loneliness. Or maybe it's a a feeling of uh, regret. You know, there's so many things that we feel. And our immediate reaction is, what can I do to get rid of this feeling? And so our brain finds something to do to get rid of that feeling. Why do you think they call it comfort food? Right? Right? I feel terrible. What I want to eat. Do you know that sugar activates the same part of your brain that cocaine does? Interesting, huh? I don't know why I'm talking about cocaine a lot today. (laughs) I don't have an issue, really. But that's why you'll find even heroin addicts or people who are trying to get off, 
they have a lot of sugar because they find that it starts activating that same part of the brain and so it's easier for them to deal with it. So what happens when every time you become disheartened, every time the pressure starts to come, you go to the food, you go to the drink, you go to the drug, you go to the person, you go to something because it alleviates that feeling. What you're doing is creating a pattern and then you're creating the habit and then you're creating the life. Abraham's afraid, so he reacts. Sarah's not my wife, she's my sister. Isaac sees that. People go, hey, is that your, who's that? She's hot. Oh, that's my sister. Why? I'm afraid they're going to kill me. And so instead of thinking God just promised me he was going to care for me, provide for me, I'm going to find a way out. Okay, this is what I do. And then he goes into this survival mode. And that's how we engage and begin addictive behaviors is by impulse thinking. I need to, I need to, I need to. Why? Because I feel better. Instead of thinking long term, see the the brain naturally repeats actions and it releases these neurochemicals that produce feelings of pleasure. Okay, now I feel better. And then, hour later, oh, my stomach. I shouldn't have had that. You know, I've been on this diet because, you know, I should be able to look down and see my feet. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I, I need to do something here. And so on this diet, I, I, you know, there's real limits on what you can eat. Basically, nothing. <laughs> you know, there's no sugar. There's not supposed to be any processed foods. You know, no grains, no pasta, no bread. Can't even have Diet Coke. I've been craving Diet Coke like you wouldn't believe. And, and I find it's like, why do I crave Diet Coke? Well, it's just my brain says, well, that would be good right now. I'm used to that. And so you have to kind of train your body, but then all of a sudden you start, well, I actually feel better. I actually don't, I haven't had that feeling. And I've eaten good. You know, yeah, there's salads, there's meats and things like that. And I've eaten a lot, but I don't have that stuffed feeling. You know, when you eat and you're like, oh, I'm going to die, I'm stuffed. I haven't had that. And so I feel better when I make right choices. But something in me wants one of those ice cream bars that you can get at Costco. They're dipped in chocolate, dark chocolate. And then they're dipped in caramel. And then they're dipped in dark chocolate again. And I think about it. I am now. And sometimes when you're just like, man, things are crazy. Man, I wish I had ice cream right now. Why am I thinking that? Because that's what I would go to. And so what would happen if we started re- training our minds when we're afraid instead of going to whatever we decide no I'm going to make a conscious effort and I'm going to go to the Lord I'm going to put my focus on him I'm going to take time and bring these situations even as we spoke about last week I'm going to inquire of God what I should do instead we react and we give in to these things Abraham taught his son how to be afraid. One critical goal is we need to get our minds back into a reality, a reality where God is a part of that. Dispel the illusions that twist our thinking. This means we will not just feel our feelings, but we will bring awareness to what we are feeling. 
we won't just react, we'll resolve to a situation. Military training, they train you to trust your training. Why? Because they train your mind to think when you get into that circumstance so that you don't make the wrong decision and panic. You have a place that your mind goes to. Well, we need to train, retrain our thinking, make an awareness of these things that can help us to determine if this is the right course of action or not. See, these are things we are learning from a story because we see the results that took place in the lives of these people. And so like his father, Isaac was wrong about the local people. And this skewed perception, which generated the fear, also generated a false reality in his life. They weren't out to get him. And then when Abimelech saw him with his wife, whatever he was doing wasn't what you do with your sister, he said, something's wrong here. And he called him on it and then found out, oh, the truth is, it wasn't what I thought. How many of us are living in a a reality that isn't real? We're fearing things that we shouldn't. We're, We're reacting to things that don't have the power on our lives that we are giving it. You know, if you stop taking that drug, you can go on and live. You don't need it to continue. If you break up with that unhealthy relationship, that abusive relationship, you will survive. You will not be alone the rest of your life. You will be able to move on. See the real picture. Don't let the fear blind you and keep you entrapped. In verse 34, last verse in that chapter, we're going to get a little bit of a summary here. It says, When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Berir, the Hittite, and also Basimeth, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And that leads into the next chapter, and I'm just going to briefly talk about it for time's sake. We see that Esau, this man of the field, this wild guy who doesn't think about the future, who just reacts and just does things impulsively, sees the women who are local. And the reason this displeased his parents is because of their whole way of life and their belief system was contrary to what they were living. And so they didn't want them associating with these people because of how it would influence their lives. And you parents, again, know these kinds of things. I don't want you hanging out with them because... You know, they're involved with drugs or because, you know, whatever the reason is. So they're looking at Esau and Esau is just going off. And so now Isaac is aging. He's up in years. And remember, as he's getting older, things start happening to your body. Pretty soon he can't see well. There, there are no glasses at the time. There is no surgery. You can't get, you know, your lenses fixed or anything like that. And so he starts losing his sight and he starts losing his ability to kind of function. And just as he gets along in years, the things that happen to us when we get older. And since Jacob has the birthright, but he still loves Esau, he's going to give a blessing to Esau. He wants to... uh, Put on him God's blessing so that God will give him something. The, the blessing that he's giving him isn't the same thing as the birthright. It's just to try and give prosperity in a divine way to him. 
And so he tells Esau, come here, I'm getting old. I'm going to die again. The way we continue our life is through our children. So I want you to go and get me some of that meat so we can make some of that stew. Whatever's in that stuff, I want it. And then I'm going to give you your blessing. And so Esau says, okay, yeah, cool. I'll get a blessing. He goes off, goes to go hunting, find the game. Rebecca hears what's going on. And so she devises a scheme. She tells Jacob, listen, your dad's old. He can't see. He's barely functioning. We're going to get you that blessing. Why? Because she loved Jacob. And so they make out a plan. Jacob says, I can't go in there. I'm nothing like Esau. He's hairy. Look at me. I'm like on the swim team. (laughs) It just isn't going to work. She goes, don't worry. We'll get some fur and we'll put it on you so when he feels you, he'll feel that. And we'll get his clothes and we'll put his clothes on you so when he feels you, he'll smell your brother. And I'll go and get the food that he likes. And so Rebecca knows what Jacob li- or Isaac likes. And so she gets the food and she cooks it, prepares it, and she talks and Jacob says, okay. And he goes in and he goes, Father, he goes, who's that? It's Esau, your son. Why do you sound like Jacob? Come here. He comes there and goes, are you really Esau? Yeah, it's really me. And I swear to God, really, he does. He says, in the name of Yahweh, it's me. And he goes, come here so I can feel you. And he fills and he's got the goat skin. He goes, yeah, that, that's Esau, all right. Huh, okay, here's the food. And so he takes the food and he eats the food and then he embraces him and he smells the smell of the wild field and the clothes that his son Esau wears. He goes, yeah, you're it. And then he gives him the blessing. And then he leaves with God's blessing on him. He's got the birthright. Job done. I got my brother's birthright and now I got his blessing. And then Esau comes in. Says, here I am, father. And Jacob's like, huh? What do you mean? I just gave you the blessing. And he realizes that he's been deceived. And Esau cries out, God, isn't there anything you can do? Isn't there any blessing? And he can barely think of anything to say. What a shame he could not think of any more blessings to give to his other son. And Esau is furious. And he swears when my father dies, when Isaac dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. Rebecca hears that and so she sends Jacob, go to your father, or my father, go out and, and live over there with them. With Laban, I don't want you to be injured. And so we start seeing the results that take place. Now Rebecca actually loses her son, trying to give him a blessing and bless his life. Isaac has caused friction between his children, wanting to give a blessing to one and despising the other. We see a family that's fragmented. And more than that, do you realize that Jacob, 10 of his children, would actually use clothing to deceive him in his life when his brothers sell Joseph into slavery? The thing he used to deceive his father was going to be used against him to deceive him. We don't realize 
the consequences of our actions and the things that we do. And as these things go on and as Jacob goes on, he realizes that he wins something, but he loses everything. He might have gotten something, but he really lost a lot. God has given us what we need to do his will. He's given us the senses, the ability, the reason, the mind. He's given us the body, the energy to do the things that he would desire for us to do. He's created us, enabled us to do those things. He's given us enough wisdom, but he hasn't given us all the answers. He's given us enough strength, but not for every accomplishment. He's given us enough time, but not for every imagined thought or chore. We just need to remember to renew ourselves in him each time. Like like a, a person who goes to work and they have a picture of the family there on their desk. It's a reminder why I'm here and spending all these hours at work. It's because I have a life. Well, we are to to remember that we have a life with God. And so we need to look at that and remember that so it affects our actions. You see, deceitfulness is not a part of the character of God, and it's not supposed to be our character as well. Impulsive behavior is not patient. It's not supposed to be our characteristics And when it is, we need to take a time and look at God and say, that's not the characteristic that God wants for my life. And I need to be aware of it so that I can do what I need to do to live the life that God wants us to live. A life that honors Him. A life that is honest. A life that is patient. We need to take that time to dedicate to God whatever it is we're doing in this moment, constantly putting ourselves in God's hands. This way, we can be sure that we won't fail in his purpose for us each day in spite of ourselves. And and so in this story of, of these two boys, we see impulsiveness, we see deceitfulness, we see the parents And they're instigating problems with this, with their own fears, with their own favoritism. And we see that it drives a wedge into the family and splits it apart. So that Jacob leaves his family. So Esau hates his brother. All because of decisions that they made that were wrong. And so there are a lot of lessons to learn from these stories. There are a lot of things that we can see if they apply to us. There are a lot of areas where we can look and say, am I impulsive? Am I not wanting to wait for delayed gratification? Do I want it now and I just want to feed that desire right now and I want to stop that feeling right now and so I disregard my future for the desire I have right now? Is that me? then I need to look at Esau and what it cost him. Am I a person who manipulates to try and get things my way and I'll lie just to make myself get what I want and and to have things work? Oh yeah, I'm thoughtful, but I'm deceitful. 
And what happens? What kind of relationships do you have when you're a deceitful person? How close are you going to be to someone when you are constantly being deceptive? And it ends up driving the family apart and driving them away. And how important is it, is it for us who are parents to live lives that our kids can see are genuine, are reflective, are patient? Or do they see in us the things that they will later on behave in the same way we did? And then we will be like Isaac repeating Abraham's sin and lying about his wife will be like Jacob, whose sons used clothing to deceive him just like he used clothing to deceive his own father. We find that what the scripture says, we reap what we sow, is true. And as we see the results of these problematic behaviors, it can be, oh my, this is terrible because we're all aware of our problematic behaviors. But do you understand this, that the good things we do have momentum as well? So that if you would invest in the right way of life, it will produce better things for your tomorrow. So I, Karina always says, are you going to leave us down or are you going to pick us up? You know, what are you gonna, you're going to encourage us, right? So here's my encouragement. <laughs> okay. Not leaving you in despair. Because the power is in each of our hands to sow to a good life so that we can have a good future. The, the power is in our lives today to invest in the right things, to acknowledge God in our character today so that we have a better tomorrow. And just as these problems resulted problems in their future, the things we do can produce for us a beautiful future. And if you don't see your life as hopeful, you will give up. Because those same things that encourage your brain to do one behavior can encourage your brain to do another behavior. If you constantly give yourself over to these things and find your satisfaction in these things, pretty soon you actually start desiring salads. Believe me. Yeah, who knew? You can actually change your habits that will change your life, that will change your future. So let's learn from this story that what we plant today is what we will harvest tomorrow. And let's plant the things that will produce for us the future that God wants for us, that honors Him. Let's pray. Father, these stories are so packed with emotion to see the families go through these struggles, to know what it's like in our own personal families. We know how much pull there is in these areas. And we know how much struggle there is wanting the best for our children, but having to to make the right choices, not taking shortcuts to try and get just what we want for them, but actually doing things in a way that helps them to see you a part of our decision-making. God, I pray that as we have looked at these things, that we will go back and read them and see where we fit. Who are we in this story? Am I an Esau or a Jacob? Am I an Isaac or a Rebekah? 
God, who am I? What are my character traits? And what are the character traits that I need to change? So that my life is one that reflects you and looks more like Jesus. And so, God, we pray that these would be theological lived out lessons. That we will learn from these things how we are to then live. And we allow the truth of your scripture to be the truth that shapes our lives. We thank you again for this time, Lord. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives and use us to be examples to our children, to our friends, to our co-workers, to the people around us. May they see a life that honors a living and true God of love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.